Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Lucy Schultz, owner of Lucy Schultz Design. Lucy formerly worked at both Fisher-Price and Mattel as a toy and game designer. She's an author and inventor of children's board books and has a full line of educational and family games available online. Lucy, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? Great. Thank you for having me. I really am going to enjoy this. Oh, so I think. No, I will. Oh, <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. I know I will. Fireside chat, but thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you know, when I read your story, it is, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And I thought we'd maybe jump into that first. Uh, the fact that you worked for these huge, huge companies, like uh, these are the big guys, right? These are the, the main players. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get into that? It's an interesting story because I went to the Cleveland Institute of Art, which is in Cleveland, Ohio. And I was in the industrial design program and it's called industrial design. So it sounds like all like industrial, but really it's more designing for industry. Okay. And one of my favorite parts, as I was looking over into the other class, they got to do a design, a toy design project. And Fisher Price came as guests to help out with this whole project. And I was like, oh, how cool is that? I was in my fifth year. They were in their fourth year, and this was the first time they got a chance to do it. So I missed it. I was like, oh, this is terrible. But I was just peeking around and seeing what they were doing. I'm thinking, this is this is what I want to do. I don't want to be designing boring stuff. <laughs> I want to design fun stuff. And so I put together my resume and I sent it to Fisher Price. And when the director came to back to school, they, we were doing a design show. Yep. And he saw my resume on the wall next to all of my stuff. And he goes, oh, she sent me a resume. Let me go talk to her. So they ran down to the basement, which is where I was working, because all of the um, designers were worked in the basement at that time, and pulled me out of my studio in shorts and a T-shirt and said, hey, someone's upstairs. They want to talk to you. They're from Fisher Price. And I'm like, all right. So I just like ran upstairs, and I got a chance to talk to them. And he said, you don't really have a lot of toy design experience in here in your portfolio, but obviously you're interested in it. Um, how about if I give you some projects and you can see how you do with them and then you can come out for an interv interview. And I was like, yes. Oh, so man. basically I was in the middle of a car design project and I talked with my professor and I said, hey, can I forget about this project? And I will be working on these projects because this is what's going to give me a job in the industry that I really think I want to do it. And he said, yeah, I can supervise you with that. So he luckily, I got to take that quick detour and come up with a whole bunch of ideas and headed out to Fisher Price, which is near Buffalo, New York. And I had my portfolio in hand and a box full of models and stuff. And it was so informal back then, but also I was just an informal person. And so normally you wouldn't just come with like piles of stuff, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm showing my enthusiasm here. And, um, I don't know how much detail you want me to get into, but long story short, they hired me on the spot and I went home like singing and dancing in the car. <laughs> oh, I guess so. I think for many people that'd probably be the dream job, right? Like, like yeah, working on was, toys, like yeah, how much was, more fun could it be than that? Yeah. Yeah. And it was before, I think it was even before big came out. So it was like, Oh, Hey, that's my job. 
So, so we're now in this role, did you have the opportunity to come up with kind of your own ideas or did they give you like a spec and you would have to kind of design to the spec or how did that work? So when I very first started out, it was very specific. So rather than just having a whole open canvas of doing whatever you want to do, let's learn the system. Let's figure out how to do stuff. So ironically, this was actually kind of cool. Like this was not at all an insult or anything like this to me because I got to update or redesign the corn popper okay. and the, the, you know, the one that you push that yeah. push toy and it pops oh, yeah. up. I had one of those. I got to do that. And then I worked on the 35 millimeter camera that used to be like that little box 110 camera. Yeah. And so I got to take those classics and bring them up to date. So that was pretty cool. So I got to learn how, you know, injection molding works better and how to do drawings and how to communicate with engineers and what the marketing people expected and that kind of thing and work on these classics that I knew were going to stay in the line for years. So other projects that I worked on after that, you know, they aren't necessarily classics. So it's a lot of fun because you have a blank canvas, but at the same time, you don't know if it's going to stay in the line. So that was pretty cool. And then how did you jump from Fisher Price over to Mattel? Like Fisher Price was before Mattel, I guess, was it? Yes. Yeah. So I started out Fisher Price and I was designing preschool toys. And then um, Fisher Price decided to go into preschool games. And so I talked to my boss who had moved over into that area and said, I'd really like to do this. And I was able to do that. And I was thrilled because my parents are educators and their grandparents were educators. Yeah. And so the whole idea of toys with rules and the benefit of getting kids to interact with things and to learn things was so cool to me. So I really enjoyed that. And even as I, I was a little kid, I was making up games and saying, okay, we're going to play this dad. And we'd lay out all those ginormous playing cards on the floor and yeah. we would play, you know, crazy games, you know, even um, like Twister almost with card games. Okay. And uh, I just loved it. So, um, so your trip in, to Mattel all of, then? Yeah. Did... So in all of that, Mattel was bought Fisher Price. Oh, and so they okay. took the games group out to Los Angeles. And I was like, no, <laughs> because <laughs> I wasn't really necessarily ready to go to Los Angeles, but at the same time, because I was happy where I was yeah. in, at Fisher Price. And I loved the people that I was working with. And so the guy that hired me, my boss actually went with games out to Mattel. And then they put me in uh, crib and playpen, which was designing baby toys. So I just okay. went through all this cerebral stuff, trying to educate children to entertaining and still trying to stimulate and educate babies. But that was not where my heart was. Yeah. So I called my boss and I said, um, and I left him a message, a voice message. And I said, Hey, um, how's things going out in Los Angeles? <laughs> Do you have any openings? What's going on? Just kind of feeling the waters here yeah. hung up. I'm not telling, I'm not kidding you. It was like within 15 minutes, he comes around the corner and says, <laughs> Hey, how are you doing Lucy? And here he was back in Buffalo. And I'm like, this is so weird. I just called you. He said, you did. And so I told him what I was interested in. So long story short with that, I was able to get recruited back to doing games out in Los Angeles and picked up everything and moved to sunny Southern California from freezing cold Buffalo, New York. I think a lot of people would probably be envious of that story and of that move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was wonderful. And of course we had to buy a convertible too. 
<laughs> yeah, of course. So how many years in total were you there between uh, like the Fisher Price and then the Mattel buying the Fisher? Like how long were you with that entire organization? It was about seven years at each place. Wow. Yeah. So over a decade and a half of, of experience, kind of understanding how the big guys yeah. do it efficiently. Yeah. Um, and then the decision to go on your own and to, to kind of branch off and do your own thing. What, what kind of start got that, that going? What, what was kind of the, the stimulus to that? So um, I was getting older, not that I was that old, but older as far as having kids goes. And I didn't want to live out in California and work more than 40 hours a week and have someone else raise my kids. Sure. So as the time clock was ticking, I thought um, I've, I've made my hit a lot of my goals that I had had challenged myself to hit and was like, all right, bite the bullet. <laughs> this is going to be scary doing this on my own, which is really interesting, though, because you know, in hindsight, here I was thinking of playing all of these games and using these toys with me as the kid and yep. reminiscing of what I would want to play with. And then now I was becoming a mom. Mm. And so after I left Mattel, I was be able to design things from a completely different mindset because I was designing them for my own children yeah. and what I wanted to teach them or what I felt they needed to learn. And if they had, like my son, he had some aversions as a typical boy to, you know, fine motor skills and wanting to learn certain things and um, being able to design whether they were games or um, ways to write and do things like that to get him interested in it. And I was like, wow, this is so different because we would watch all of these moms talk in these mom talks about what they wanted in their, you know, their games or their mm -hmm. products for their children. And then now it was me and I thought, wow, now I really better understand how to design these because I'm a mom and I understand more how trying to design, like trying to write rules for a game so that a mom can read them with a child sitting on her head <laughs> while she's trying to read the rules. So that was one of the things I really appreciated too, was just how, how can I quickly get something communicated so that mom gets it? And so she can explain it to her kid and it's fast. What well, that's a lot different than some of these other games that are for adults. Yeah. But it takes a certain knack for that kind of thing to quickly explain stuff, quickly get a mom to get it and quickly get a kid to get it because their attention spans are so short. I guess being the going from designing stuff for other people and trying to imagine what their needs are versus now becoming the end user uh, of what you're creating is, is got to bring a lot of insight, right? Like you are now able to look at this from a completely um, different angle. Right. And I, yeah, I completely different angle. Yeah. In, when a we good, would, in a good way. Right. In a yeah. good way. Yeah. Cause I really appreciated seeing both angles. Like I wouldn't say one or the other. Cause like when I was at Mattel and Fisher price, carte blanche, go to the store, buy all the games that you want, come back and play them all. <laughs> And then when you become a mom and you're taking care of kids and you choose to stay home and not work full time, it's like, okay, we have this much amount of money to spend yeah. or, you know, what are we going to spend our money on? What do I need to do? And, uh, it was funny though, going to garage sales and finding my games that I had designed at these garage sales. I'm like, Hey, I can autograph this for you. Might be worth more. <laughs> That's awesome. But, and so when you started, um, uh, Lucy Schultz design, which is now covers off board games and, and, uh, 
books and, and board books. Can you talk about the different categories of what, what you've created uh, in terms of your own, your own business now here? Yeah, I started off um, on my own designing my own games that were easy to launch. Yeah. So I figured if I don't have to tool anything and I don't have to, you know, buy a whole bunch of parts, I'm going to start with that and see how it goes and learn the process. So we'll start small and then keep expanding from there. Yeah. The books that I did, I was very fortunate because um, there's such a big story behind this, but I'll try to keep it brief, <laughs> is when I went to um, Toy Fair, I was able to look around to see what other people were doing. And I found a publisher that would publish that was publishing things that matched up with where I was going. And I, I mean, this is a miracle. You don't just walk into toy fair and start talking to people and say, Hey, I got this idea. And that works. However, <laughs> this one time it did work because I ended up at toy fair. I was able to go along with a, another colleague. I bumped into this, you know, I kids company didn't know really anything about them other than that. They published things that looked like they would be able to handle doing what I was doing. Sure. And she actually made an appointment, looked at my stuff and said, we want it. So I really truly say it's a miracle because you don't just go do that and you can go get an agent and you can submit stuff over and over and over and over again. And that's even happened to me since then. So like there's other games that I've had to submit to different places and cross my fingers and hope that somebody recognizes the value of it. And yet here I walked into Toy Fair and took a chance. So I think what I learned from that is being able to take a chance and just go for it and take the risk to do it. And it started out small with iKids and mm. it was still a lot of fun and it was very rewarding. But just recently, Melissa and Doug bought iKids. Okay. So now Melissa and Doug are publishing it and now it's more considered big time. So when, with, with your different portfolio, is, is some of it self-published, some of it's published through Melissa Doug? Like, how does that kind of configuration work? Yeah, that, that's a good question because I'm doing both self-publishing and I've self-published books and games. Yep. And then I've also been able to do freelance or contract work for other companies and then they'll publish my games for me. So they just pay me a set fee for... I don't want to say literally an hourly rate, but it's like they pay me for a job sure. and then I do that and then it goes, you know, to market and that's it. Um, and then I, you're out. There's no residuals or anything like that. But if I come up with a game that's a royalty based game or like in the case of these books, yeah. then it's a royalty based thing. And that um, is really nice because then they can take care of all the marketing and all of that other stuff. That's one of the biggest things that I've learned to appreciate since leaving Mattel and Fisher Price is how important that marketing component is. Because yeah. as a designer, most of us don't typically typically think that way. Just it doesn't come naturally to us. We are creative. We're still problem solvers. Mm -hmm. But to mess with all that kind of stuff, um, I would rather pay somebody <laughs> to handle that than because you can spend a lot of time updating and marketing, and then you're not able to be creative in the sense of design. And yeah. it's a hard balance to do. So that's why the royalty thing for me is feels much more rewarding because it's not nearly as stressful. It just kind of takes care of itself and then it can go design another game. <laughs> Less risk too, I imagine, right? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. 
the, and so you you've actually have some patents, I believe, on some of your products too. Is that is that the yeah. case? Yeah. So when I worked at um, Fisher Price and Mattel, I got some patents on those products. And then when I started doing things on my own, those books, when you go and check out the polka dot books and um, the easy page turners, I think it was pending. I'm not really sure. I, you know, it's like you pay yeah. attention, but you don't pay attention. Um, when I worked at Mattel, you just got you just did it because I was part of your job. You know what I mean? But it's still cool to be able to say, Hey, I have a, a handful of patents here. That is cool. And I didn't ever have to submit them to the patent office, which I wanted to make, make sure that that was clear to all of our listeners here, because, um, that is a whole more, much more complicated mess. So that's where the royalty part really comes in handy because then they can handle all of that stuff for you. And you don't okay. have to, that's where that risk was that you were talking about. Yeah. Because you could invest, you know, $10,000 or whatever up, up front to patent something that doesn't go anywhere. So it's really nice when you can, there's a chance that someone could steal it. However, there's also that chance that if they do t take it and then make a deal with you, it is going to be way bigger than if you did it on your own. How did you find the transition going from the corporate world to the independent world? I know from, from personal experience, um, working in a large corporate company um, where you have very large budgets and then going out on your own where you have no budget uh, is quite the transition for some people. Did you find, uh, you know, how was that for you? That is an interesting question because I'm not going to answer it how you probably expect me to answer it. I expect because, nothing. <laughs> okay. Because um, you're right about the whole budget thing. However, you would be really surprised. I mean, except for the people who have worked at a company like that down to the penny, the nitpicking of how to make it the most cost effective mm. is very much the same for me personally. So to be able to um, do searches to find out who's going to give me the best cost, I had someone else do that for me because they were the cost engineer. Mm -hmm. Now I have to go and do all of those searches myself to find the best price for things, but it's still very, very similar the part that I think was the most drastic change or shock was that I could go and buy games and play them almost whenever I wanted to, as long as someone wasn't having a meeting. And there was a plethora of people around that if so-and-so had a meeting or so-and-so had a due date, um, I could go find someone else. And we could always find five or six people to play a game, play test a game, play competitive samples yeah, and, you know, just have fun doing that and, all competitive too. Like everyone like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're doing this from home, where do you find these people to play these games? And then you have to invite them over and then you have to provide snacks and then you have to clean your house. And you don't normally have to do that when you're at work. And then to have some, you know, likely victims of children around, they're always this, they're the, they're always the same age, even though they keep getting older. So like, if you wanted to grab a 13 year old, but your kid's only six, you're like, ah, how do I yeah. find this kid? Which was really still solvable during school. Um, you can just go to a lot of the schools were very much open to having me come in after school during their after school programs and play test the kids. So that was really, that was still very helpful. And it was kind of nice. Cause then I didn't, I could set it all up myself and just do it. And also very rewarding because I could see at the schools, I knew which kids had been getting math help, for example, and then 
to be able to have them play this game, not realizing that there are math problems in the game in order to win. Mm. And they're able to figure out the math problems and figure out how to explain to all their friends how to play the game. And I'm like, yes, because it just brought joy to my heart that they were able to understand it and do math and not be frustrated with it and actually enjoy math. So I hear that a lot from developers. Uh, I mean, being a developer myself, it's the, it's the, you know, the reward of seeing others enjoy something you've created or connecting with something you created. Yeah. That's worth, I mean, money's nice if you can make money at it and and congratulations to have, to have a company that, you know, can, um, you know, you can make a living on, but just man, having that connection, uh, and, and seeing that, uh, with people in your game, I think is, is a pretty amazing feeling. Um, there's nothing like it. There really isn't. Um, what would you say is your top? I got Mike Bruner in the lobby here and he's, he's listening in he's checking out the website. He's saying, you know, gosh, there's a big portfolio here. What would, what's the the top selling product that you have? The top selling product that I have is definitely those polka dot books. Okay. And I could tell you, I think this would be interesting if you want me to share how I even came up with that idea. Like where the heck would that idea come from? So describe Um, what a polka dot book is first and then tell us how you can Okay, for those of the people that who can see me, I am going to hold up this book. And there are these dots on the front of the book. I don't know if you can hear the little clicking sounds. Yep. And when you poke these dots, you hear the sound. And if you can imagine, those of you who can't see this, um, there's, you know, on the lids to McDonald's, Burger King, and you poke those dots down to say, yeah, this is root beer, this is not Coke. Yeah, yeah. So I had those lids in my possession and I know how much kids and adults enjoy poking those dots. And basically that was put into this book so that the kids could count. And way I made the leap between the two was that my son, who was uh, maybe like three or so at the time, I, it's been a while, <laughs> um, when he would count, if you count something, like with little kids, they'll go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, they'll forget nine, where they, which they ones they count and which ones they didn't. Right. And I'm like, how do I get it so that my son can count and know which ones he already counted? And then he knows that there's only five and you stop at five. And I thought those little dots, you could poke them. And I made these flashcards. And that's what I took to Toy Fair and showed iKids and said, I think there's something here. And- that- what a smart yeah. idea. Mike, is he, yeah. he's trying back and said he's got uh, three-year-old twins that would love uh, those books. I echo it. My kids are much, much older now, but uh, when they were, uh, you know, that, uh, that kind of toddler age, yeah. I, I could see something like this as an obvious decision for a parent who's, uh, you know, yeah. sitting down and, and yeah. know, doing nighttime stories with their kids, or even during the day, just trying to do some light education, right? That's yeah. uh, it's kind of thing. So much today, people are going against the grain or at least trying to go against the grain for at least some of their day to not be in front of the screen yeah, and not use battery operated stuff. Yeah. So to be able to have this and have that tactile feeling happening and having, you know, being able to hear it and see it, all of those things are so engaging when you're competing with an iPad or some sort of a tablet. 
Yeah, you got Bruno in the lobby saying infinite <laughs> bubble wrap sounds. Yes, <laughs> that's <yep>. true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so talk to me really quickly about, is it Kalili? Is that how I pronounce that? Kalele. Kalele. So yes. there's something uh, about, uh, this is a, a fundraiser that was, talk. tell me about this yeah. game. What's this all about? Okay, so um, over the years, my sister-in-law, she's gone to Africa on various other missions trips. And so she met these two boys in Tanzania, Africa, and they in Tanzania, Africa, um, you can't necessarily be what you want to be when you grow up without the government's approval sure, from yeah. what I understand. So if you're getting free college education, then they're going to say, okay, we have control over it. And they wanted to, uh, one wanted to be a doctor and the other one wanted to be a petroleum engineer. And the government said, nah, we think you should go to school for this. So they were disappointed because they really felt like they were called to do these other careers. And so when my sister-in-law met them, they were explaining this to her and she goes, well, why don't you come to America? <laughs> so she started a fundraiser to get them, you know, like a scholarship to get them to come here to America. Wow. And I felt at the time, you know, I can't necessarily just write out a check for thousands of dollars at this time. However, I have talent and time to design this game. And I thought it would be, I mean, there's so much more to this, but I'm like just giving you the, sure, yeah, yeah. the fast version. And so um, it's played like pit, um, but I made some changes to the rules. So it's real active commotion, throwing cards around the table, trying to tra trade cards, but it's all based on Tanzanian fruits and vegetables oh, that cool. the boys liked. And of course the values of them are also, you know, if they really love pineapple, that's going to be the hundred. <laughs> if they don't like peas or not peas, but beans, that's going to be the 40. And then I had incorporated cards into there that would um that you can still use in the gameplay for the sponsors so everyone who donated some money towards getting this off the ground got their card in there and that was incorporated in the gameplay as opposed to just thrown in there and thrown away it's actually part of the game and that's what makes it different from pit and uh so we're selling these card games to raise money to help pay for their education here in america and you can learn Swahili at the same time because it's in English and Swahili, which makes it extra special. So what's the, have they already come to America or what's the target date for them to, to come Okay, here? so they've Obviously come to COVID America would, okay, yeah. and they have grad, done their at undergraduate and they're both going to, well, one's going to graduate school to be actually, rather than a doctor, he's going to be a pharmacist. Wow. And the other one is interning right now um, and hopefully going to become an engineer in going to grad school and continuing his education. But right now he's kind of, I think he's taking in like, I don't want to say it's an internship, but he's a, doing a work break in between working here in the United States. That is a, an amazing story. And, uh, you know, what a congratulations to you and, and your sister for number one, sponsoring these two people, but being able to take you know, things that you're good at and say, okay, you know, how can I leverage this to, to help others out? I think that's yeah, what yeah. a cool story. Exactly. What's next for you? What's coming up? Do you have any other projects you're working on? Is there any big uh, other patents coming down the pipe or, yeah. you know, what's I don't the next have thing? any big patents coming up. Um, however, I was working on this really cool game because I don't know, I'm sure you and some of your other listeners, it's like you have enough projects going and then, oh my gosh, I got this other good project. I can't let this go. I have to start this one too. And I was trying to work on all the marketing parts of all of my games and focus on that and doing videos. And then we came up 
I came up with this other cool game idea and I'm like, all right, I got to do it. We got to at least try it. So that was something that I started right before COVID and I was about to take it out to test to other families and then bam, there goes COVID and passing cards around and mixing with a bunch of different people from different families went out the window. So that is my big project that's on hold right now because it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really fun game. It's going to be really inexpensive to produce and easy. So I don't have to do a whole bunch of tooling and things like that. I also have another book that I'm working on and trying to coordinate. I'm going to have an interview tomorrow with a publisher to hopefully help bring some people together on this because it's a book and a toy combination. So you've got funky die cuts and you've got some plastic components to it. And it's not something that I, on my, I myself can self-publish. Sure. So I'm two directions, one having a publisher help me. And the other one, I'm going to self-publish it. And hopefully, because I usually come up with something every year. And this is the first year that I wasn't able to publish something special for, you know, this Christmas season. Yeah. And all of the czars and all of the trade shows and like that have been canceled. Yeah. And that was a really big draw to get people to touch the games, play the games and have fun. That Kalele game we played at the Chicago toy and game fair and everyone's screaming and yelling in Swahili. And this (laughs) other group of people comes by and they're like, you got, are you speaking Swahili? We're like, yeah. They're like one guy actually was from Tanzania and spoke Swahili and the other group of people that came by were missionaries into Africa. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. You guys are playing this game, screaming Swahili. We had to come over here and see what was going on. So unfortunately, a lot of that stuff now has to be done virtual. Yeah. Well, if if people do want to order any of the games that that you have or check out the story behind some of these games, uh, can you just maybe mention what your website is so people can find you easily? Yeah, it's lucysdesign.us. So L-U-C-Y-S design.us. And uh, I would say that uh, Lucy was incredibly generous in donating a $75 um, uh, coupon, I guess, or certificate or, or, or voucher uh, that we're going to give away on the board game binge. So anybody that's a member, I guess uh, this time next week, we're going to do a draw. Every member gets a, a ballot, a draw a name. The winner will get $75. We'll connect you and Lucy. You can pick $75 worth of stuff off of her store and, uh, and maybe check out some of these items that we're talking about today. So thanks for that. I really appreciate right, it. You're, very welcome. Kind of you. uh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. It, it They always go so fast. Uh, I, I love your story and uh, I just want to wish you uh, all the best uh, with your, with your, with your business and your, and your future endeavors. Well, thank you very much and good luck to you too. Take care. Cheers. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.